All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Liam McCollum Show. Uh, today, I have Reed Coverdale back on. It's actually been a really long time uh, since I had you on the show, Reed. It, it was episode 49, which I, I don't know when that was, but if I would have recorded consistently like once every every week since then, I'm sure we'd be at like 150 now. Um, be way over where I'm at right now. But uh, it's been a long time. And, and what we talked about back then was trucking regulations and liberty unity. So it a lot has definitely changed since then. And back then I hadn't even met you in person. Um, and now I've met you like four times. So how's it, how's it been, man? Well, yeah, I've been a lot nicer to you. I think I've had you on the show like eight times <laughs> in that time frame. you know, but who's counting? No one's counting right now. I'm just kidding. Yeah, well, um, you, you definitely do this a lot more consistently than <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. We've met what I think three times I actually met you in the truck up in Montana the first time uh earlier this year i think that was in february of this year maybe um because i got i i got shut down couldn't drive on the road because it was too icy and too foggy and so we met at the truck stop and then we went out to reno together and then we met at young americans for liberty in florida so it's been it's been pretty fun um man since we talked last time a lot has happened uh you know world war three is on the horizon now and um, <laughs> the midterm elections are heating up. Uh, I don't know if you, did you watch any of the Fetterman versus Oz debate last night? I only saw one incredible. clip. Yeah. Oh my God. Everyone needs to go watch that. I am just, I have fully embraced clown world. I'm at the point where I realize that none of the policies that I want are ever going to be put in place. So it's just about maximum chaos and entertainment value. So I don't even care who wins. I'm just so glad that Herschel Walker and John Fetterman and people like that are in the primaries and that they're actually debating each other because that shit is absolutely hilarious. But that's where I am. I'm just enjoying clown world. I'm working on Jeremy Kaufman's campaign. We're actually protesting outside the debates tomorrow because he has been barred from entrance. Um, and yeah, just uh, having fun watching the world burn. Yeah. So when, when I had you last, you were living in Utah. Uh, so what, what did prompt that move back to New Hampshire? So I've never moved based on politics before. I've never let politics be a motivation for moving until recently. Um, I was born and raised in New Hampshire and I've lived in Arizona, uh, California, or sorry, uh, Arizona, Colorado, and Utah and New Hampshire, obviously. And so I'd been out in Utah for the last couple of years, uh, driving oversized loads, moving big, heavy equipment from mines and to different equipment depots and stuff. And the last two years really proved to me the idea that everybody is libertarian, but they just don't know it yet is false. I mean, most people are just petty tyrants or mindless drones. So they like to either be told what to do and be spoon fed all the time, or they like having their little empire where they get to boss everybody around. Very few people are comfortable with the idea of just controlling themselves and, you know, just being in charge of their own lives. Um, and I was kind of surprised to see how many people fell into the trap and then how many people were not just falling into the initial trap with COVID and lockdowns and everything, but then also the backlash to all of that, how everyone was throwing all their 
um, you know, everything that they had believed in out the window, just saying like, we need revenge on these people and we need to subjugate these people who have just subjugated us. I know you and I've talked a lot about this over the last year or so on my show and in private and when we've been hanging out with each other. And so finally I was like, you know what, maybe I should go back to New Hampshire because it's where I'm from. And that's where everybody who wants to just control their own lives is moving to. Um, and then, so I think I started thinking about this in like November of last year. And then I think it was in January, it was January or February of this year, New Hampshire was voting on legislation to be allowed to secede from the United States. And just to juxtapose that in Utah, we had been voting on legislation to ban pornography off of mobile devices and say what you want about pornography. But for that to be the priority in Utah versus what the New Hampshire legislature was voting on, I was like, okay, that's a good enough excuse to finally move back. And then Jeremy Kaufman announced that he was running for senator. And I really like Jeremy. So it gave me even more of an excuse to move back and have something to do. So I moved back in June after the convention out in Reno, and I've been working on his campaign ever since then and really bonding with the Liberty community here in New Hampshire. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a big community here, and it's not just people in the Libertarian Party, but it's just a, it's a cultural thing. Like even some Democrats here are more Libertarian than they would be in the rest of the country, and definitely the Republicans are. Um, and I'm thinking about running for state representative in the next couple of years here, um, just because it's really easy to win. There's like 400 districts in New Hampshire and some of them, you only need a few hundred votes to win. Some of them you can run unopposed and just, you know, have the spot in the state house. And that's really appealing to me. Um, and I, I've really kind of embraced this idea of local governance because you can just make a bigger impact than you can at a federal level. I mean, the Jeremy Kaufman campaign is more about messaging because the other two candidates are so awful. It's more about just getting our ideas out there. And we've made a lot of ads that have gone viral on the Internet. Uh, we're doing some fun stuff, hopefully getting the Libertarian Party ballot access for next election cycle. But as far as legislative changes that you can actually make, I think when it comes to your state level, that's where that's where the real game is. And that's what I've decided to invest in. Yeah. New Hampshire kind of sounds a little bit like Montana, just like the Eastern side of the country is version. Um, mm -hmm. But it's like, like we just had a, um, my civics teacher who was, I mean, he, he brought me to libertarianism. He just got elected at the legislature um, here in Montana and, and he'll, he'll be serving there in January. And uh, people always describe it like the weirdest things can get passed in Montana. It's like all of these Republicans, they hear some Liberty adjacent issue and there's a high chance that it might get passed. Like they they passed um, a resolution calling on the federal government to end all endless wars and then um, to bring our troops home. And we're, we're really trying to push Defend the Guard this upcoming session. It was just introduced. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, could you like give a pitch about like what the Free State Project is um, and kind of describe it for people who don't know and uh, are you bought into that idea? Yeah. So the free state project is a pretty all encompassing, uh, exercise. It's not just for people in the libertarian party. 
it so it's kind of hard to track like how many people have actually moved here for it but the original idea was to get 20,000 libertarians to move to a state and get politically involved and so new hampshire was the state that was chosen i think that was back in 2003 ish um and there have been thousands of people that have moved here and as far as i know 2022 was the biggest number so far of movers to the state and 2021 i think was the second largest so uh, over the last couple of years, there has been a, a huge influx of people who have decided to move here. And I think the reasoning behind that is a lot of people might have liked the idea of the Free State Project, but they've never been compelled to actually leave where they live. So if you live in Illinois, oh, wow, New Hampshire sounds great, but I have a job here, family, blah, 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 whatever. And then, you know, you have a lockdown or a mandate that puts you out of a job, then you start considering options that maybe weren't on the table before in New Hampshire is one of those options. Uh, but like I said, it's very easy to get involved in the government here. It's actually the largest government or, or the most representative government, I guess is another way to put it. I think it's the third largest governing body in the world. So there's the United States government, uh, federal government, and then the British parliament. And then I think the New Hampshire legislature is the third largest <laughs> in the world. Um, like uh, there's 400, um, there's 400 representatives. And then I think 50 senators in the state. So, um, everything is done on a very town by town basis, like fire permits. If you're going to get a bonfire in your backyard or something like that is done pretty much town to town, whatever the local fire department wants to do. Um, and I, as far as I understand it, there never could be a statewide lockdown mandated by a governor in New Hampshire again with the way things are set up now. It, towns could decide to do it if they want, but most of the towns aren't going to do it anyway. Uh, and you couldn't have a statewide thing like we had a couple of years ago ever happen again. So to me, this model is much more sustainable than one like Florida. Um, I think DeSantis has moved the needle as far as what people find culturally acceptable there in general. And I think a lot of Republicans have moved there, but it's almost been entirely uh, edicts from on high that have changed the system in Florida. So if a Democrat ever replaces DeSantis, literally everything he's done can just disappear overnight and all the institutions that he has power over will be handed over to Democrats. Whereas here in New Hampshire, if a Democrat became governor, <laughs> they wouldn't really be able to change that much because the legislature is heavily influenced by free staters. There's a sizable minority in the House that is run by free staters. Um, and then, like I said, everything is so decentralized that it would be hard for the governor to actually do anything. Um, we just passed a bill that nullified all gun laws from Washington, D.C., so local law enforcement are not required to help federal law enforcement carry out gun control. I'd like to see that taken a step further. I'd like to see local law enforcement be required to arrest federal agents who are trying to carry out gun control. But, you know, we're moving in that direction. So it's good. Yeah, that's awesome. Montana passed a bill that only nullified any ATF rules and regulation after um January 2021, I think, is the rule. So, um, so no bump stocks. But. So no bump stocks. Exactly. <laughs> That's and and I think that uh, Montana could move in that direction, though. And I'm really hoping this this upcoming session 
having a more libertarian voice in there with with Mr. Deming will will kind of help move the needle. Um, but if but, you guys have I'm one Garands, you don't even need a bump stock. <laughs> exactly. If people don't get that reference, I'll I'll uh, link to that video in the description. Um, but yeah, uh, last time we last time I had you on, we talked about libertarian unity, um, and you you've kind of had this really long evolution. Just as as we've been friends, like political evolution. Um, I I think you were still somewhat of a Tulsi fan, maybe when I first met you, but you you definitely weren't bought into uh, the Mises Caucus entirely. Um, so where would you say you're at with Liberty Unity right now? Um, do you still kind of adopt that strategy or or how would you reframe that? No, I think it's still similar. Um, I have. I, I'm actually not in the Mises Caucus anymore. I was oh. until last month, but um, I joined the Mises Caucus for the takeover because to me, the old guard was just awful, you know, Um <laughs> and I didn't realize how awful they were at first. I thought when I first joined the party, okay, we're all libertarians here, which means we agree on basically everything. I didn't realize there was this group of like NATO Tarians uh, who think that NATO is the non-aggression principle applied <laughs> to countries and bullshit like this. I mean, I thought libertarianism meant like Ron Paul, Rand Paul, non-interventionism, Austrian economics, because that was my background, you know, was uh, Rand Paul 2016. That's what brought me into the liberty movement. And I guess I didn't pay close enough attention during the Gary Johnson campaign to realize how much infiltration was going on. But I thought it was all basically the same thing. And then the same with Joe Jorgensen. And I really liked Spike Cohen. I met him on the campaign, um, had him on my show and everything he was saying, I was all on board with. So I didn't even realize there was this whole swath of libertarians who were basically neoliberals who liked guns. You know, I mean, that's really what they were. So they had to go. And um, at first I thought that the Mises caucus was just Jacob Hornberger. Everyone in it was like Jacob Hornberger. And I, I, under, I know Jacob Hornberger has done a lot of great work and I've listened to some of his great speeches, but his presidential campaign was just so caustic and so narrow-minded and so vitriolic toward everybody. That was my first introduction to the Mises Caucus. So I thought that's what the Mises Caucus was. I thought they weren't serious. They weren't about the big picture. They were about like, you know, um, pushing everybody who didn't fit within their tiny, tiny view of what libertarianism, uh, libertarianism was to the side. So I wasn't really interested in it. And then I ended up becoming friends with Dave Smith. And through him, I started realizing that actually Jacob Hornberger was kind of a fluke and everybody was begging him not to run a campaign like that, that that was actually his own decision. And he basically sabotaged himself. And that wasn't at the guidance of his uh, you know, his, um, his campaign team or anything like that. It was just completely self-inflicted suicide. Um, and then I realized all the guys that I met in the Mises caucus, they were about the big picture issues. So they were about ending the wars, ending the fed, um, you know, ending the war on drugs, uh, trying to, uh, get rid of like the, the unconstitutional spying and surveillance that's going on. So, once I realized that, I was like, all right, I'm all in. And I officially joined the Mises Caucus uh, last summer sometime. And then I went to Reno with you and I voted 
straight down the line, Mises caucus, everything kicked everybody out. So I think everything is way better now. It's, it's incomparable. Um, we still have problems, but nothing like what it was before. And I admittedly didn't realize how corrupt and awful everything was beforehand. And things are undoubtedly better now. Um, the reason I'm not in the Mises caucus anymore is because I, I feel like it's kind of pointless at this point. It's like, all right, we already took over. And I feel like there's a little bit of dogmatism in the Mises caucus now that probably shouldn't exist. And people should be more like, all right, we are the libertarian party now, and we need to figure out, you know, what we stand for and what we're going to do moving forward. And, and to me, it's like less about the Mises caucus. And I also identify more with the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire now than when it, with any other caucus necessarily. And the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire is just that like really bold, blatant, in-your-face, aggressive libertarian messaging. Like we're not going to brook any imperialism against any country. Um, you know, it's really big about calling out the China hawkery, which is the next big thing we're going to be facing. Um, and it offends some people, which, you know, oh, well, that's too bad. But that's where I really identify with is the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire and the aggressive messaging we've taken there. But as far as liberty unity goes, like as long as anyone is willing to put liberty ahead of anything else. So if it's ahead of, you know, whatever your pet project is or whatever cultural preferences you have, then I'm on your team. That's just how I view it. If you care about any of those other things more than liberty, then I'm not really on your team, I guess. So if liberty is like, yeah, liberty is great if we get there through, you know, some crazy authoritarian means that I want to implement. I just don't think that works. I mean, I think that's just our foreign policy aimed at our domestic policy instead. I, I really, I, I'm a classical libertarian where I think a hands-off approach is what's going to fix this. And I think the problem with our culture is that our politics have such a strong um, dominance over everything that we do. You know, I mean, you and I are very different religiously. You're a Christian, I'm an atheist, but it doesn't have the same effect that if you were like a hardcore liberal and I were a conservative, it would be a lot harder for us to be friends these days because of all the cultural barriers that are built there now. Um, you know, liberals and conservatives don't even go to Thanksgiving dinner together anymore. Uh, a lot of these politicians won't even enter debates on stage with each other anymore. And that's because politics controls so much about our personal lives and so much about our, you know, our social views. And I really think if we can turn that dial down, that a lot of that will evaporate. I don't think it's through seizing the state and enforcing our cultural values and then everything will be fine. I think that is what causes this endless pendulum swing back and forth. Yeah, I've I've always said that like I, I think the reason that each presidential election becomes more and more vitriolic and kind of consequential is just because you know the the president continues to have more and more authority over 300 and however million people there are in, in the United States. And um, the way I've I've heard it explained, um, I, I had Gerard Casey, he's a libertarian philosopher on the show a, a long time ago. And, and he, he said that it's possible to be um, both a conservative or a liberal culturally and a libertarian uh, politically. And it, it comes down to the fact that like, you kind of declare peace on the 
in the like political realm and then um are are just going to create like your own space for your cultural values in the world and defend that um and i think that's kind of what it what it goes to like like if conservatives are just going to enforce their christian conservatism on liberals it will it will constantly be this uh seizing of this political weapon and using it against that person every two or four years uh and it it just reminds me we, we've talked about this before like um all, all this talk about desantis being the next uh presidential nominee um a lot of libertarians are clamoring for him and i think part of it is because a lot of libertarians have more of a conservative uh cultural you know value or, or perspective uh, but they're they're forgetting that he will probably grow the the office of the president and then that will yeah. only be taken over by a Democrat in the future. Um, so, yeah, we, we've definitely talked about this before. And uh, it, it is interesting. I'm, I'm looking at your Tulsi Gabbard shirt that you have on and <laughs> you started out as a Tulsi supporter. Uh, and, and I kind of wanted to talk about the, the developments here well, because started out, isn't quite accurate. When I met you, I think you were more of a Tulsi supporter. I don't, were you still on the campaign around uh, when, when did you leave? Oh, and, uh, like February, 2020. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. I didn't had... think, I think we got to know each other a whole year after that. Yeah. Wasn't it early 2021. I, I remember I saw you, I saw Scott Horton on your show when I was prepping to have him on my show. And that was in February of 2021. So it was almost a whole year later. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I, I am wondering what, what you think about her kind of um, evolution, because a lot of libertarians are also clamoring over her as well as DeSantis. Mm -hmm. um, do you, do you still think that Tulsi is someone that you would support if she were to run for president or uh how how do you view her as she's um evolved she's definitely become more libertarian since you were on her campaign but you've also become more radical since then too oh yeah yeah so i guess just for people who don't know um <clears throat> you know as i mentioned earlier i was a rand paul supporter 2016 voted for gary johnson but after the johnson campaign kind of fell flat I kind of checked out of presidential politics and I did vote in the midterms in 2018. Uh, and when I voted in the midterms, I unregistered from the Republican party and just <clears throat> declared myself. I, I was undeclared in New Hampshire, which is independent, no party affiliation. And then you can vote in either primary. Um, and I would identify myself as an independent to people and if we really got into it, I'd say like, yeah, I'm libertarian leaning, you know, like Rand Paul and Ron Paul and I voted for Gary Johnson or whatever. But I wouldn't I didn't really rep the libertarian brand so much. Um, and then in 2019, I found out about Tulsi Gabbard and it was it was in like late August in New Hampshire. I saw one of her signs and it was just like this. This is all it said Tulsi 2020. So I didn't know. If that was someone for governor, someone for Senate, I didn't know if it was a man or a woman, no idea. It just says Tulsi 2020. So I was like, huh, well, that's interesting. Um, and then I went home and I was YouTubing something and one of her ads popped up and it was about border security. And she was saying we can have a secure border and have immigration reform. 
which was just an outside of the box opinion for a, especially a Democrat, because I don't know if you remember, but in 2019, the hottest issue was it was like gun control and uh, illegal immigration, like Democrats were trying to outleft each other on like, well, I'm going to give immigrants free houses. Oh, yeah, well, I'm going to give them free houses and free health care. Oh, yeah, well, I'm going to give them free gender reassignment. I mean, it was just it was almost laughable how crazy it was getting. And she had this common sense approach. So I went on her website and I realized she kind of had this approach with a lot of things. She was just reasonable sounding. Um, and I definitely disagreed with some of her positions, but she just didn't sound like a leftist maniac. And then I was really impressed with her foreign policy because she was saying the war in Syria was a huge mistake and something we never should have got involved in. And that had been one of the top issues that Rand Paul had alerted me to in his run in 2016, because uh, I'd been paying attention to him since he filibustered John Brennan's nomination back in 2014. And he was talking about all the weapons we were giving to rebels in Syria and how we had no idea who they were. And then later on, he was talking about how a lot of the weapons were ending up in the hands of ISIS and Al Qaeda. So she was right on with this issue, too. And then she also was talking about how we shouldn't be giving weapons to Saudi Arabia and how there's a new Cold War with China and Russia and how Donald Trump was pushing us closer to war with Iran. And she even talked a little bit about how Netanyahu and Donald Trump and um, Mike Pompeo all wanted to push us into war with Iran. She talked a little bit about Netanyahu's um, treatment of the Palestinians, which was just like, whoa, like she she was kind of touching all the things you're not allowed to touch. And of course, she was super excluded from all the debates and wasn't uh, you know, getting the coverage that everyone else was. And when she was getting coverage, she was an evil Russian asset spy. So I met her in New Hampshire in late August and there, it was a meet and greet and, you know, no one knew who she was back then. So there were like 30 people there and I got to talk with her for like five minutes. And I was asking her about the off fossil fuels act, which was kind of her environmental plan that she had written up. And I told her, look, I'm a truck driver, so I don't really understand how you think we can transition off of fossil fuels within a couple decades with everything that we still rely on fossil fuels with. And how are you going to encourage this transition without hurting small businesses like truck drivers? And, and she actually, I don't remember exactly what she said, but she gave me a thought out response and it wasn't like a packaged politician thing. It wasn't just a handshake. Hey, thanks. Nice to meet you. She seemed very genuine and like she was listening to every word I said. And she also showed up in an SUV with her husband and her sister. Her sister was like her bodyguard and her husband was her cinematographer who would get video on the campaign trail. He would film town hall events and stream them to YouTube live. And then he made all her advertisements and everything, which were great. Um, and I really like that, like down to earth kind of close knit campaign style. So I decided to join. I was like, you know, screw it. I don't agree with her on some stuff, but she is raising the most important issues about foreign policy. And she's the only one who's talking about it. All these other candidates are criticizing Donald Trump for being a white supremacist or whatever the fuck. You know, none of it was hard hitting like with her. She was pinpointing all the evil things the Trump administration was doing. So. 
I was on the campaign when the whole Hillary Clinton thing came out, you know, that she's a Russian asset and she's being groomed by the Russians. And then when Tulsi hit back at her, calling her the queen of warmongers and everything, that was a really exciting weekend when that happened. And I remember when she came back to New Hampshire, we were all worried we were going to, we were like checking our chest to see if there were red dots on them from <laughs> snipers looking at us whatever um and then she ended up getting she she was excluded from a debate and then we actually got her good enough polling results in new hampshire to get back into two more debates which is really cool um so i already knew her pretty well at this point and then seeing her up on the debate stage is kind of exciting you know because someone you actually know um and yeah then i i actually was lobbying her hardcore about guns. I was telling her, look, your your views on guns are going to cost you so many votes, especially in New Hampshire. So you really need to smarten up on this. And I know it's going to look weird if you start changing your position, but you need to like instantly have a town hall with a bunch of gun rights supporters in New Hampshire and like have an open dialogue with them about why the stuff you voted for is bad. Like you just need to do something about this or it's, you know, it's going to go South. And she never really did that much. She did a little bit, but it was too little too late. Um, and what, she came what, would she, what would she say to you in person? Like when you said that, did she push back or did she kind of uh, was it more of like a debate in a friendly debate at the time? No, I, I think I think guns is and I still think this is the case with her. I think that she views guns as just a partisan political issue and doesn't really care either way. I mean, I know she owns guns and she carries sometimes, so she probably would staunchly defend the right of people to carry a handgun. I, I think that's a legit thing she cares about. But when it comes to like owning AR-15s or whatever, I, I don't I think she just really doesn't care. Okay. So she never struck me as someone who just wanted to get her hands on those guns and take them away from people so she could subjugate them. But at the same time, I don't really buy this new like sudden, uh, you know, reverence for the Second Amendment or whatever. Right. I, mean, I think like in general, it's something she just really doesn't care about. Uh, but then she came in seventh place in New Hampshire in February. So it was kind of over. That's when I left the campaign. And then she endorsed Joe Biden in March. And that really pissed me off. Um, and then I found out in hindsight, she had actually endorsed Hillary Clinton in 2016 after Bernie had dropped out. So I was like, oh, I guess I should have seen that one coming. Um, and then she kind of went all in on the COVID stuff at the beginning. Um, and then a few months later, she started reversing her position on the COVID stuff, which I understand happened with a lot of people. So that in itself can't hold against her more than anyone else. But um, she definitely wasn't someone who from the beginning was decrying the lockdowns and the mandates and stuff like she she kind of went all on board with it and then changed her tune. And then toward the end of her tenure in Congress, she was actually introducing amazing bills. She introduced a, a bill to free Assange to pardon Snowden and to repeal or rewrite the espionage act, which was like, wow. Um, and then I think she introduced something to pull all the troops out of Syria toward the end. And um, she, she made it, she made a few really big splashes right toward the end of her career. And then she left Congress and then, she had a few appearances on TV where she was saying just really, really great stuff. Um, this was around the time 
you and I probably got to know each other. I was still really, and still am to this day, actually, when she says really great stuff on Tucker Carlson or on really big show platforms, I think it's great. And I think most of what she says is really good and it pushes people in the right direction. Um, As far as would I support her again? I don't think I would. Um, I, I think she can be weaponized. Like she, you know, she's a, a hot young veteran who knows what she's talking about. So people pay attention. And a lot of the stuff she says is really, really good. Um, and so I think there's certainly value in that, that she can certainly change people's minds. Right before I did the show, I was actually watching her episode with Ron Paul on her podcast and it was great. And the fact that she's having Ron Paul on letting him talk to all the people that are listening to her. Uh, I think that's great. Right before that, she had uh sacks on to talk about deescalating um, tensions with Russia and avoiding nuclear war. And that's what most of what she says on television is about. So I think that's all great. Um, I really don't like the people she endorses just across the board. I mean, she endorsed Bernie Sanders in 2016 and then Hillary Clinton and then Joe Biden. And then everyone she's just come out and endorsed lately, except for Mike Lee. I think Mike Lee is a really good endorsement. She's endorsed a bunch of like boomer con Republicans. Um, and some of them are worse than others. Uh, in, in New Hampshire here, she came and campaigned for Don Baldick, who's, a neocon. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I don't really think you can describe him any other way. And people are saying, Oh, he's changed his tune since he said that awful stuff on Fox news, but he really hasn't like he's criticized the 40 billion to Ukraine because there was no clear strategy, but we've seen what his clear strategy is by the clips that came out when the invasion was just kicking off. Like he wanted to interdict Russian troops and do indirect fires on Russian troops and put special forces and CIA on the ground in Ukraine. Um, and Corey Lewandowski, who's a former Trump advisor, and then Jennifer Griffin, who is the Pentagon correspondent for Fox News, both came out and condemned him after those statements were saying that's so rash and so retarded and so insane. We want you to know that this does not reflect the department of defense and this disqualifies him from ever holding federal office as a Senator because he'd be such a, a hot pocket or whatever. Um, so I don't know for her to come here and campaign for him is like, man, I, I really don't understand that. And then, you know, the endorsements she's made over the years, I feel like she's been really, She's had really poor judgment. I mean, obviously, Bernie Sanders, forget about his economic policies. He's a complete sellout hack who votes for like every single war, uh, every single corporate bailout. And then, you know, to think Hillary Clinton, the reason she supported Bernie over Hillary was because Bernie Sanders is more likely to be a non-interventionist than Hillary, which that is fair. But then she endorsed Hillary over Trump. <laughs> And it's like, okay, I mean, I don't understand how you can say Hillary would be more of an anti-interventionist than Trump. That just doesn't make any sense to me. And then the same with Biden, like why support Biden um, over Trump or over somebody else or over nobody? Um, and then, yeah, the, this, this latest round of endorsements, I don't really understand. So um, I think she's a genuine person with a good, uh, I'll say what she said about Joe Biden. She, though I disagree with Tulsi on some issues, I think that 
she has a good heart and would lead this country with the spirit of aloha. That's what she said about uh-huh. um, Joe Biden. I basically think that about her. Like I, I would not be comfortable campaigning for her or getting behind her again, but I do think she's a good person. And I think that most of what she says on TV is good. And I'm glad that she's there. I think it's better that she's there doing what she's doing than not having her there basically. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how I feel too. It's like, I, I, I recently tweeted this out that I, I think where we're at right now with the Russian Ukraine conflict is all a result of the the kind of narrative that we saw during uh, the 2020 election, uh, where where people were saying that Tulsi Gabbard and Trump would meet with dictators and how that was bad. Um, right. The fact that that narrative won out in the Democratic Party is the why we're at where we're at right now and why it's taken them months to actually have official talks with with Russia. Like um, they it was the secretary of defense, um, just Lloyd Austin, just met with his counterpart in Russia for like the second time in in a week. And this was the first time I think they had any official talks out in the open um, for months. Uh, So, I mean, she is absolutely like so much better than the people we have in power oh, right yeah. now. But then undoubtedly, you, but then she goes on Tucker Carlson and then she she says that, you know, the war on terrorism is still important. Almost like it almost feels like sometimes she has a gun pointed at her and she's being forced <laughs> to like say something just to like yeah. give some overtures or something like that. It's it's really weird. She's she's a kind of mixed bag. Um but I'm wondering, do you think, I mean, is she going to run as a Republican? Do you think her she's staying as an independent? Uh, do you know her well enough to kind of make that guess and uh, make a bet as to what she does? So first of all, I want to comment on you saying that she's a mixed bag. She is the ultimate mixed bag. Like she will say nine things in a row that are just absolutely incredibly amazing. And then her next take will just be out of nowhere and just be god awful and absolutely crazy and you're just like what what the fuck did you just say and i think what that comes from this is my this is my guess and i want to ask her this when she comes on my show i think that she i think she is a genuine person who cares about people but she has no philosophy to pin down her actions so she doesn't have something like the non-aggression principle or the idea of property rights to deduce what the federal government should and shouldn't do, right? So what she always would say was, I want what's best for the American people. And that sounds pretty good, but if you start thinking about it, it's like, man, that can be used to justify a hell of a lot of shit that sounds really bad. Um <laughs> Like the common good or something like that. Yeah. I mean, because I I think that's why she was initially all in on the COVID stuff because she thought, okay, this is for the good of the American people. We need to lock down to slow, slow the spread and blah, blah, blah. Um, And then eventually she realized, no, this isn't helping the American people. Okay. Well I'm against this now. So you can't count on her to make the right decision all the time because her basis for choosing what's right and wrong is so subjective. It's what I think is best for the American people. Um, and that's, that's why I think you have that, that situation where she'll say something that's so good and then suddenly just come out with something that's just insanely stupid and uh, out of left field. 
Um, and as far as the war stuff goes, she's always been that way on foreign policy. Like a lot of people think that that's a recent transformation that she's sold out to the neocons or something. And it's really not true. She has always been, or, or at least for the last 10 years, she's been a hawk on terror and a dove on regime change. So she doesn't want to go to war with Russia or China or Iran or Syria or Korea, which all that's great. I mean, that puts her above a lot of people in Congress, but she does want to wage a global war on jihad and to fight terrorism around the globe. And that can be used to justify a lot of military action. Um, So she's against stupid regime change wars. She's not against war. Uh, But even, even that, difference just like i said it puts her above 98 percent of people in congress um as far as her running as a republican i had no idea what she was going to do when i was working on her campaign even like she threatened to boycott a couple of the debates because of the polling requirements debates that she barely qualified for so there's this time we were working really hard in new hampshire door knocking and doing phone calls to try to get her up to 8% in a poll so she would qualify. And then we finally got it like a couple days before the deadline. And so she was going to be in the next debate. And then without even asking us, she put out this video saying like, I don't agree with the, the arbitrary requirements they're putting out to get people in the debates and therefore, I'm considering boycotting the next debate appearance. So we were all like, what? No, don't. Are you crazy? Like, and I haven't told her when I saw her the next time. I was like, don't boycott the debate. No one will even know that you're not there. You know, like what? I mean, it, it would be one thing if you're Donald Trump and you don't show up to the debate. But if you're Tulsi Gabbard, who no one even knows exists and you don't show up, then no one's even going to know you're not there. So she would do stuff like that just out of the blue. Uh, that we had no idea was coming. The Hillary Clinton thing, we had no idea that was coming either. Um, when she sued her for $50 million, had had no idea any of this was coming down the pipe. So I would not dare to guess what she's going to do. However, I will say if she wants to, I bet she could be the Republican VP in 2024 pretty easily. I mean, every single event I went to when she was out here and everybody I talked to who's a Republican who knows who she is, that's what all of them want. They're like, oh, she would be Trump's perfect running mate or DeSantis's perfect running mate. So I think if she wants to do that, then she can. And uh, I think that, you know, I don't like either of those tickets, but um, they would win by a lot. I think, I mean, DeSantis gabbard against Biden yeah. <laughs> or whoever ends up running. Like, yeah, I think it would absolutely sweep the country. Yeah. I, I really like your analysis that it's it seems that she's just like unprincipled um, and that she has no guiding principles. And it reminds me of like people appealing to the general welfare clause just to like push yeah. any tyranny possible. It's like you can define welfare, you know, however you want to. Um, but, yeah, I, I am wondering, like, she seems like she's it's so weird. It, it, I can't tell if she's an opportunist or if she's a genuine person who like constantly changes her beliefs and questions what she believes, because like, I, I never would have suspected that she would have gone on Joe Rogan and, and talked about, uh, you know, transgenders for like an hour. That, that was so surprising yeah. to me that she was like completely anti-woke 
Um, so it does kind of seem like she's moving more in the direction of uh, being a Republican and appealing to like the DeSantis base. Uh, but I, I just don't know if it's like if she's being an opportunist or if she genuinely is moving in that direction. I think it's both. I think there are some things that she really cares about, but then the things that she doesn't really care about, like guns, are kind of up for opportunist political wins, you know? So, um, like, she supported a lot of crazy progressive social ideas, like free college, uh, Medicare for all, reparations. I, I bet she doesn't support any of that now. And she probably never really supported it hardcore in the first place. Like, this is what I'm getting at. Like, I, I don't think that she's, it's not so much that she's a sellout. It's that she just doesn't have a philosophy on which to build her ideas at all. So she had um, some strong opinions about some things. But then things she doesn't have a strong opinion about are just totally up for grabs and she'll be a chameleon with those to get votes, which I mean, I'm probably like that with a couple things. I'm trying to think what they would be like. Uh, or maybe I'm not. I don't know. <laughs> I guess I don't really have anything like I that. Think, but I think immigration there's probably is, is one for me, like immigration. Okay, I wouldn't yeah. go. I wouldn't go like completely against, you know, close or like a more strict immigration system but uh -huh. that's that's because like we're so far away from what the libertarian ideal would be that it's like it's one of those issues where it's like yeah like maybe i'll throw a bone at some republicans because open borders in this current system is also just as insane um mm -hmm. so i think that like for people who are like that that might be the closest yeah it's example. a it's a good comparison like so that would be your issue. I'm trying to think what it would be from uh, this might sound bad, but probably be abortion for me. Like, I mean, I, I, I don't think unrestricted abortion is good. And I also don't think like banning all abortion is good. So I'd be willing to have some wiggle room depending on what crowd yeah. I was running with, because it's honestly something I'm a little bit ambivalent about when it's within that reasonable range. Um, so I guess that would be an issue that I would be willing to kind of cater to whatever audience I was running for to an extent. Like I would never support partial birth abortion and I would never support like outlawing the morning after pill. But if it's within that like reasonable range, I could adopt something. So, I mean, there, there are some issues like that with everybody probably, but with her, it's just most of the issues. And then there's like a couple that I think she really cares about. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. And same with like immigration, like it's just one of those issues I really don't know. And I think Dave Smith's invitee system is probably the, you know, most ideal in the current system, but it's like advocating for complete libertarian immigration doesn't even really make sense in this context because that would require like privatization and we would need like, you know, so many steps in between that to get to the, that point anyway. So, um, that's that's another one of those those debates where I'm like mm -hmm. the Republican built building a wall idea isn't right, but also like complete open borders and letting everyone cross is also insane. Um, so I just come up with a conservative kind of middle of the ground uh, approach to that. But um, yeah. I, I am wondering, um, just as kind of like a last little question here, we I, I went on your podcast with uh, the Capitalist Communion um segment that we do and and we talked a little bit about strategy strategy and messaging 
Um, and I, I kind of wanted to give you an opportunity to like pitch both of those things. I think there are two questions currently within like Mises and the LP right now. Um, it's it's strategy, like whether whether we're running against all Republicans and Democrats, or if there are certain Republicans we wouldn't run against if if they're good enough. So like that that kind of goes to the strategy question, and then the messaging question is like the LPNH messaging versus uh, what is currently like the mainstream Mises idea, I guess, uh, if if you can pin down a, a um, mainstream Mises strategy. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if you can kind of tackle that and, and give your pitch as to what both the strategy and the messaging should, should be. Should we be running against um, all Republicans, even if they're really good? Like, should we run libertarians against Rand Paul or, um, for instance, in, in Montana, we have two uh, districts for the House of Representatives now because of the last con- um, census. We now have two. And one of the guys who's in the Republican or who is the Republican nominee is really good. Like he's voted mm-hmm. against all aid to Ukraine. Um, he, you know, voted against the resolution to allow Sweden to join NATO. Um, and that and that's Rosendale. And and I'm leaning towards the idea that we should probably not run against him at all, ever. And instead message and um, push him towards being more liberty focused. But then um, there's Ryan Zinke, who's running in the other district. And this guy, he advocated for no fly zones over Iraq and Syria last time he ran. He also introduced a bill requiring women to sign up for the draft. And he um, I mean, he said some pretty iffy things on Ukraine. So kind of just like to address both of those things how do you how do you think we should be handling messaging towards those people and then um um yeah should we be running against both candidates in that instance so here in new hampshire in the senate race there was a guy named bruce fenton who was running in the republican party and he was uh he was basically i mean he was a libertarian so i voted for him in the primary and uh I was also working on Jeremy Kaufman's campaign. So if he had won the primary, I would have voted for him over Jeremy Kaufman because he could win. You know, he could actually beat Maggie Hassan and become an elected senator where I know that's not going to happen with uh, Jeremy Kaufman. But Bruce Fenton wasn't pretending to be not a libertarian, right? Like he, he wasn't embarrassed about it and would just say, what he thought and he was running as a Republican, but he would just say, look, this, this China Hawk stuff, this um, Russia Hawk stuff is just crazy and we can't have any of it. And we need to rein in our spending. It's out of control. We need to end the war on drugs, you know, and the Patriot Act. Like, I mean, he was just stalwartly libertarian. So there was, there would have been no reason to, really like campaign for Jeremy against him. So I wouldn't have, I would have, I would have just jumped on board with his campaign, but he didn't win. He got 5% of the vote in the Republican primary. And now Don Baldick is the Republican nominee and he sucks. So, um, you know, there's, there's no way Jeremy's going to win this campaign. So he might as well run as staunch and hardcore libertarian as he can to prove how much the other two suck. Um, and I don't really see any 
you know, reason to placate the right at all or the left at all, just to run as a hardcore libertarian and draw as many votes away from both of them as he can and basically prove to both of them, if you want to win, you've got to placate libertarians. Because if he gets a sizable chunk of the vote and either one of them, you know, gets a little bit under 50%, they're going to realize, wow, I guess I should have listened to these libertarians a little bit more. And if I do that next time, maybe I can win. Um, when it comes to something like Rand Paul um, or like Mike Lee, um, so so actually Mike Lee is a better example because I lived in Utah. So there's this guy, Jim Jimmy, I think it's Jim Henson, Jimmy Henson, uh, not not Hanson, uh, Jim Hanson, Jim Hanson, yeah, Jim Henson's the puppeteer guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, but Jim Jimmy Hanson in Utah, who got nominated to run as a Senate candidate against Mike Lee, and Mike Lee, I think Mike Lee voted for the forty billion to Ukraine, which really sucks because before that he was definitely leaning toward us a lot more. So um, I actually had planned to vote for Mike Lee, uh, basically you know, with no, no reservations, uh, before I decided to move back to New Hampshire. Um, because Ed McMullen is awful. He's like a CIA fucking stooge. He's just, he's just terrible. Everything about him sucks. And Mike Lee has proven that he has libertarian leaning sympathies. I feel a little bit differently now that Mike Lee voted for that 40 billion to Ukraine. Um, I feel like libertarians should be really threatening him. Like, look, that was a mistake. And you might you you have cost yourself a lot of votes over that stupid mistake. And in fact, we don't even really care if this awful Democrat beats you or independent or whatever McMullen is. Um, so I, I feel like it's kind of a case by case scenario, uh, like with uh, Blake Masters in Arizona, like some people think he is a libertarian. And in my mind, OK, you've got. Mark Victor, who's got a pretty sizable polling percentage for a libertarian. If Blake Masters wants to win, he's got to give libertarians a good enough reason to vote for him. And he obviously hasn't. I mean, he's run on being a MAGA Republican. He hasn't run on being a libertarian. Like he says, we need to toughen up on China. We need to uh, support Ukraine in their fight against Russia. He's changed his tune on that a little bit recently. Um, and he also says we need to fight wars for our allies like Israel. Um, and he's also, you know, he's, he's also really, really, uh, you know, kind of, he's, he's really, really supportive of, um, crazy border control. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying about having a little bit of fluctuation on that issue, but he is. He's crazy. Like he wants to build a wall. He wants to add thousands of border patrol agents. And he works for Palantir, which has a weapons contract with the border patrol agency, which is kind of concerning that a libertarian leaning guy, uh, you know, works for a weapons contractor sort of. And uh, they also profit off of our tensions with China, the same company. So I don't know. To me, there's not a slam dunk reason to get behind him and endorse him, I think he should be earning libertarian support. If he wants to get it, he knows how to get it. He was one of us like 15 years ago. So he knows how to get it from us. So basically libertarians who can't win, they should just have an unabashedly libertarian message 
and not be afraid about what the right or the left thinks of them. And this whole idea that we got to placate a little bit to the right so that we can actually gain their favor is just dumb because they're not going to vote for us anyway. They're not going to support us. They aren't libertarians. So I'm all about single issue coalitions and talking to anyone. I would go on anybody's show. I would have anybody on my show. I don't think we should like shut off conversation with either side, but we shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking that either side is our friend or that they're, you know, they're going to ultimately support us because they won't, um, you know, like some people want to cozy up to Jack Posobiec. So he'll have Dave Smith on his show or something, which is great if he has him on his show, but there's no way Jack Posobiec is going to support Dave Smith over Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or Cernovich or like any of these guys, of course, they're going to vote for Donald Trump. Like I'd say even Tim pool. I don't, I don't have any reason to think Tim pool wouldn't vote for Donald Trump um, or DeSantis. So I, I think, um, I, I think getting on big platforms is important and talking to anyone and having these single issue coalitions is great. I don't think we should be placating them at all. I think we should be very staunch in our beliefs and show them where we stand. And then, um, you know, some of them are going to hate us, but I think that's actually good. I think sometimes, you know, spite is the only way you're going to end up in the media. Like LP New Hampshire has LP New Hampshire has gotten more news coverage than like the other 50 or the other 49 uh, state affiliates combined over the last several months. Um, and it's going to be negative. Sometimes they're going to spin it. They're going to throw whatever they can on it to make it look ugly. But I think we should kind of embrace that. You know, Donald Trump won the presidency that way. He embraced the negative media and just went, you know, <laughs> head first into it and it worked out for him. So I think, um, thinking that the media is going to report about us in a positive light is just not true. They haven't done that to anyone. Look at Tulsi Gabbard, look at Ron Paul, look at even Donald Trump, even though he wasn't one of us. Uh, they, they just vilify anybody who doesn't tow the establishment narrative 150% of the time. So I don't think we should worry about it that much. I think we should just be ourselves and do whatever it is we can to um, advocate our message. And if there are good Republicans like Thomas Massey, yeah, vote for him over libertarians. Like, like I said, I would have voted for Bruce Fenton. Um, I have nothing against voting or running as a Republican. It's just, if you're going to run as a Republican, don't be a Republican, you know, still be a libertarian and then I'll vote for you. So you find any use in like running. Um, so like, if the libertarian Republican would have won, um, do you find any use in still having the Kaufman campaign there and then maybe endorse him at the end? Or do you think you would have advised the Kaufman campaign to to kind of drop out and get behind that guy? So I know the strategy was if he had won the nomination, we were going to try to run to the left of Maggie Hassan and just make her look bad and you know shame her for all the things that she's supposed to be good on. So we would stop talking so much about taxes and gun rights and that type of stuff. We'd just be talking about war, uh, spying, um, the war on drugs, uh, bodily autonomy, all that type of stuff that she's really not good on. Um, so I think there's that strategy too. Like if you have, you know, the, the libertarians can be a kingmaker in a lot of ways. If they stay in the race, like if, if you want to win with libertarians, you have to be libertarian leaning and then they'll vote for you over the libertarian. But if the libertarian stays in the race, you can kind of kneecap either the Republican or the Democrat 
whichever one you know is more useful politically because I, I think that's the only power libertarians have is extorting the vote in an election so if the democrat is completely useless but the republican has a slight libertarian leaning you can be like hey republican smarten up and we'll vote for you and we'll get out of your way but if they're both awful there's no use in doing that and then if the republican is so good that he's basically a libertarian you shouldn't really have to worry about libertarians stealing votes from him because any smart person is just going to vote for him anyway um for example like i think if there were a libertarian running against thomas massey they'd basically have no chance to get any sizable vote because every smart person would be like well thomas massey <laughs> you know is going to get elected and he already supports everything i stand for anyway so um i think like this whole fear of having a split libertarian vote is kind of dumb because if a republican is good enough i don't think they have to worry about losing votes to a libertarian yeah as so i'm i'm now like the the social media director for uh the montana libertarian party and um you you've definitely like given me some advice on this because i i uh I do struggle with what to do because um, in in one of the races, um, like I said, we have a very libertarian guy. He's not as libertarian on on immigration, but um, on on war and everything. He's he's awesome, and I I'm not in the position, luckily yet, um, to run, to have to like back the libertarian in that race because the libertarian who ended up winning the the primary in that race is like a socialist who isn't even friends with anyone in the party. Like he hasn't showed up to any of our conventions and in our party um, voted not to endorse him. So I've kind of like gotten off free, not having to back him. So mm -hmm. instead I've just been criticizing, um, you know, that libertarian as well as the Democrat and, and telling the other Republican in the other district to be more like uh, Rosendale, who's um, in the other district. So it's, uh, it, it's kind of interesting right now, but I have no idea how it would be if if we had a really good libertarian running against um, Rosendale, who I think is actually probably one of the best Republicans we have in Congress. The the one thing that he is is kind of iffy on is the reason he says he's voting against Ukraine and um, the Ukraine aid and all of this stuff is because uh, he he'd like to see the border situation get fixed first. So like, mm -hmm. it's one of those things where like, I'm, I'm happy that he's voting no, but the reasons are wrong. Um, but I mean, the reasons are all right, as long as he's not racing yeah. us towards World War Three. <laughs> That's how I always feel like I don't care what your rationale is like the Democrats are starting to hate Saudi Arabia finally. <clears throat> and it's because they're siding with Russia economically in the World War Three situation. And I'm like, okay, I mean, if that's your reason you hate Saudi Arabia, whatever. Like, I, I mean, if it's not for killing journalists or throwing gay people off of roofs or for assisting in the 9-11 attacks on us, whatever. Okay. But, you know, I mean, you do you. So um, I think the biggest tragedy is when you have a libertarian running in a race where you do want to extort the vote, but the libertarian sucks, right? That's just a total tragedy. Um, so if we are going to have a libertarian party, we might as well have stalwart, staunch libertarians that support our support our ideas. Um, otherwise, I don't really get what the point is, you know, um, because we're not going to win. I, I feel like we already 
accept that as reality with the exception of a few cases. The Libertarian Party is not about winning elections. Like I think we know that to be true. Um, and I actually think that the Libertarians who have left, who want to make it all about winning elections and have gone to the forward party, the forward party is the perfect party for you if that's your only goal is to win elections because the forward party has made it clear that they don't care about any issues or having any principles. They just care about not being the Democrats or Republicans. And that's not why I'm a libertarian. I'm not a libertarian just because I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I'm a libertarian because I actually believe in things. Yeah. Um, so if your goal is just to win and not be a Democrat or Republican, you might as well go join the forward party. So if we're going to do this libertarian party thing, it might as well be hardcore or we might as well just not do it at all. Yeah, and you and uh, LP NH are definitely the most hardcore affiliate <laughs> out of all of them. For sure. Uh, you guys have gotten a lot of press. And uh, your ad that you came out with the Kaufman campaign yesterday was amazing. And I'll, I'll link uh, to that in the description as well for people to watch. But I uh, think that was the best Libertarian Party ad ever. I don't think I've ever seen one better than that. Yeah. If for, for people who aren't aware, do you want to just kind of like pitch your strategy the way you kind of explained it to me is you are going to have like satirical ads the whole way. And then closer you get to the the uh, election day, you're going to get serious and actually attack both sides. Yeah. So Jeremy Kaufman's ads have all been satirical. They've, you know, there was the war is gay, earth is dying, abortion is good, abortion is bad, um, stop mass migration. You know, they're all just hilarious ads that still had a very obvious political point to them. Uh, like the war is gay one. It was so obvious they're making fun of the military industrial complex for hiding behind the veneer of social progressivism or whatever. And then the abortion is good one. Like, oh, yeah, we care so much about your bodily autonomy. That's why we support vaccine mandates. And, you know, that's why us rich billionaire men want you women working every day you can or whatever. And then the abortion is bad one. Like, oh, no. We don't support innocent people dying unless it's for Israel or Ukraine or something, you know, like just total. I mean, it, they got hundreds of thousands of views and the message behind it was very clear where you could put out a normal ad that says all your policy positions in a 100% serious way and no one will watch it. No one will care. I mean, most people don't change their opinions based on logic. They change them emotionally or they get excited about something. And humor is a good icebreaker too. It's a good way to you know, broach a subject uh, where if you did it seriously, it might really, you know, get people on defense mode. But if it's through comedy, they're not in defense mode. They laugh at it and then they're forced to think about why it's funny and then kind of reassess what their actual opinion is. Uh, but then the last ad we did, um, it, it was just serious. It started out kind of funny. It was like last time I said war is gay, but I'll be honest, war is retarded. It's retarded and you're not allowed to say retarded anymore. But if you support war, you are a retard. And then it went hard hitting imagery and just talking about how if you oppose war, you're not a limp wristed loser. You're actually brave. Um, and then it showed Don Baldick and Maggie Hassan supporting escalation to nuclear war and like be brave, be anti-war, be a libertarian at the end. And at the end of every satirical ad, <clears throat> he said, I'm serious, you know, in a really sarcastic way. 
But then at the end of this ad, he said, I'm serious. And it was very heartfelt and serious. So it was a perfect, like poetic, full circle ending to the campaign ads. Um, I loved it. I actually teared up a little bit the first time I watched it after it was all edited together. Um, but- yeah, I, I showed it to one of my friends who's who's been a little critical of the the LPNH strategy. And and at the end, he 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 was like, damn, like that that gave me chills. And yeah, and I, I totally agree. It was it was actually motivating. I mean, I, I don't think we're told enough that that we're brave for standing up for um, the these principles. I mean, the every single person like the the supposedly anti-war progressives, even them, like even they are opposed or for this war, like they capitulated right. um, after the a saddest day. story ever. <laughs> yeah, it, it was so it's almost I, I genuinely like think that they must be controlled opposition if like. Like their entire purpose was to release a letter that said that they were opposed to the current um, strategy and that uh, we should start to negotiate with Russia. And the whole purpose was for them to then get crushed. So it looks like you're like that any anti-war voice will look weak. Like, I feel yeah. like that that's kind of it must be what the strategy was, that that it was all strategic so that it looked like you can't be anti-war in today's world. But yeah, I mean, literally Republicans and Democrats are are pro-war right now. So uh, that ad was, I mean, yeah, it, it was perfect. Uh, you guys yeah. hit it home and I've, I've, I've criticized like particular instances of your strategy just because um, I, I wouldn't have sent specific tweets, but overall, I think the strategy of like being controversial and, and being brave to attract people is absolutely uh, the way to go. But um, I really appreciate you coming on, man. It's it's I've needed you to to be on the show um, for a long time. So uh, why don't you uh, just pitch where people can find you now that you've been banned off Twitter? Sure. Yeah my my podcast is the Naturalist Capitalist. Um, you can find that on YouTube, uh, Rumble now, also Odyssey, and then it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the audio platforms. And then I am on Instagram. That's probably the best place to find me where I'm not like throttled. I'm on Facebook, but man, I, I don't get any traction on there. Um, you can just go to my link tree, link tree, read Coverdale. Um, and I have all the, all the places I'm currently still on listed there. So yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah. Thanks again. And uh, everyone, I'll, I'll put the links to my stuff in the description as well as reads. Um, make sure to follow me on YouTube, Odyssey, and all the other podcatchers, and then I'll have my social media on there too. Uh, but thanks again, and uh, be sure to watch my previous podcast too. I, I did a longer form uh, podcast with Benjamin Oblo about his new book, How the West Brought War to Ukraine, and uh, it was very informative. So everyone check that out as well. But uh, thanks for tuning in.